Welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. One of my deepest beliefs is that technology has a value only when it meets user needs. And these user needs may be dreams and wishes. And I mean, technology needs to make our lives better. Better by means of safer, faster, more focused, easier, or maybe just funnier. But we need to put a value into technology. If technology has no value, then it is maybe art but probably just junk. I'm having two projects uh, in the startup phase at the moment. Both of them are automotive projects, and in one of them, the clear definition of users, user groups, the analysis of user needs is very much in focus. Um, Everything we do there is exactly the way it should be done from my point of view. And the other one has a very limited user focus. So it's it's the typical approach of many car manufacturers. We know everything. We have customers and we know what they want. And uh, yeah. But at the end, it's not really about the, the end user. And I mean, I was able to, to realize at least a very light variant of user analysis before we started the HMI development. And it can work this way, uh, no question. Uh, very often these uh, CEOs, CTOs, product managers, marketing guys, they may have a pretty good idea, but very often, very often you end up in a non-accepted, useless, failed product if you do not do an early analysis of what users really want and what what this means to us. So for me, this podcast episode is about empathy as a guiding stars or it is about three ways to wear the shoes of your user. So it's about user-centric development, the very early phases. And I'm having here three methods that I want to discuss here in this episode of the Human Technology Podcast. The first one is design thinking. I had an episode about design thinking about six or eight weeks ago. 
So I will not talk about the entire process of design thinking, but more about the very early phase, which is called understanding. It is about understanding the users and, well, um, I, I, will, I will discuss the single methods out of this. The second uh, method I want to present is the contextual inquiry, which is um, yeah, a pretty cool way of, of learning uh, about your users, about what they do. And the next one, the last one, is the development of personas. So let's start with design thinking, with the early phase and with uh, the focus on understanding that we have here, which, which is the very early phase that you have in a design thinking project. And it consists of about, well, almost a dozen different activities you do. And I'm, I'm going to run through them and, and explain a bit what, what is behind that and what my view on them is. The first one is the problem statement, basically formulating the problem. And there, there should not be any solution in the focus or in, you should not even think about a solution. Basically, this is not the way I'm thinking doing acting, just trying to find a problem as big as possible and then discussing that from all the sides. And I mean, we need to go to the solution, right? And um, I, I know that this mindset is very popular in, in many, many technology development contexts and, and many automotive and, and product companies. But for this one, it is very important that you have a more or less neutral problem statement. And not saying, okay, we have some technology on the shelf and uh, we should use that. We have invested a lot of money into this and now we should find a problem that fits to this. This will not lead to a successful technology. So you have the problem statement first. And then the second thing is do a task analysis. Find out everything about the jobs to be done. What are people doing with this technology? And sometimes we, we believe that we know everything. And for example, car driving. So of course, if you have a car, you want to drive from A to B, right? But uh, this is not the whole truth. You may have a taxi driver or a Uber or Lyft driver, people that make money by transporting other people. You may have a delivery truck driver, heavily under time pressure and, and not driving is not, not the core part of his job, um, but it's the delivery of goods. It needs to be on time. It, there's traffic jams out there. And, and then you may have a, um, a soccer mom, a person that has two, three, four kids and she drives them to the soccer ground and to school and to music and art schools and whatever in the afternoon. She's more like a mommy taxi that you have there. Or you have a businessman, a salesman that um, after the pandemic is back on the road and uh, driving a lot and working a lot from the car. So all these different people have different tasks in a car, different, different jobs to be done. And they will require different solutions. And 
the more generic a technology is, the more different tasks you have and, and the more different jobs to be done. The, the best example is um, there's a smartphone, today's smartphone, which is something like a digital Swiss army knife. You can do more or less everything with this. You can take pictures, you can uh, edit documents, you can send text messages, you can surf in the internet. And by the way, you can also make phone calls with a smartphone. And so different people will have different tasks and different jobs to be done with that technology. So we need an analysis on this one. Next point is there are various design principles out there. In automotive, there are a few ISO standards, um, the ISO 1508, um, there is the ISO 7000, and have a look at them. Then other other domains will have different rules. And, and then there are some generic HMI, human machine interface, usability, user experience rules. So, for example, um, Jacob Nielsen. Um, who is um, an absolute guru on user experience, HMI design, usability. He has the 10 rules of good HMI designs. It's a very generic set of rules, and um, you can use those, um, these heuristics, as he calls them. And yeah, there are others out there, and you should have a look at them. So far, the, let's say, analysis that, that is behind this. Then an important step in uh, the early phase and the understanding phase of design thinking is the interview for empathy. So that's basically a user survey or an interview targeting to understand the problem, the problems of users, the needs, the emotions, the motivation, the mindset, the frustrations, and this interview is meant to build empathy, to put on the shoes of your users and to find out, okay, this is a pain point. This is um, frustrating a user. This is the motivation why he or she is doing something. So um, that, that's the first kind of interview. And then the other kind of interview, the next one, goes deeper. It's called the exploratory interview. That is about exploring the user's everyday life, um, but also the explicit and, first of all, the implicit needs, the values, the beliefs, the motivation, the goals in life. I mean, all this is, is below the level of emotions, motivations, mindset, frustrations, or the problems users have. So we have the upper level and in the interview for empathy, and the next, in the exploratory, uh, exploratory uh, interview, we go one level below this. And this also includes the cultural aspects. And so something I really, really love to talk and think about and to, to work on. This morning I um, had, a, had a discussion in a project that was about a specific technological aspect in uh, vehicle interiors. And, um, yeah, I thought, yeah, that there, there is a two extremes in the U.S. and um, there is less extremes in Europe. And in, in, in China, there's also these two extremes, but they are basically on one side. Um, because Chinese, um, or there is a large group of, of Chinese people 
that are getting their first car. And, and I mean, in uh, Europe and in the US, your father had a car, your grandfather had a car, maybe even your grand-grandfather had a car. That is not the fact in China. And this has leads to a, to a new perception of vehicle interiors and the use of technology. So I, I believe that Chinese users are far more open to new technology because they have a different tradition in the use of cars. And all this is part of the exploratory, exploratory interview. The next one is a thing I really, really like. It's the five times why. So there, there is uh, one example um, people very often talk about if it is about user interviews or user input. It is a, I don't know whether it's true, but uh, it is said that Henry Ford said, if I had asked my users, they would have replied, faster horses. Basically meaning, um, if I ask a user, he replies, I want to have faster horses. And let's take this for true. Let's, let's, let's really believe that um, 100, 110 years ago, someone from Ford Motor Company, some marketing guy went out and made a couple of user interviews. And the users replied, I want to have faster horses. Then we as professionals, as designers, as HMI designers, as user experience, user interface people, as product people, we have the need. We need to ask why. Why do they want to have faster horses? And maybe we get to the result that they want to move faster, that they want to get faster from A to B. And then we know, okay, um, the solution for this problem is maybe not a faster horse, but maybe it is a car with a combustion engine or with an electric engine. So just by asking once, we lift the problem from a very low level to a more generic level. And each time asking why lifts the problem to a more generic level, which allows a larger view on uh, the uh, on the problem uh, on the solution room that we have. So if you ask why faster horses, shorter travels from A to B. Why shorter travels from A to B? Well, maybe because uh, people don't like to be squeezed into this room and not being able to do something. So maybe the, then the solution on this level is, well, let's bring internet and, and, and screens and media and entertainment and movies to the car. And then we do not need faster horses, but we need all these entertainment opportunities in a car. I, I think you got the idea uh, behind this one. And uh, so asking why, and I mean, in design thinking, it says five times why, maybe two or three times uh, is okay. Maybe you need six or seven times, but Five, from my experience, is a pretty good number. Ask why, why, why. Ask this your users. And you can also ask it yourself. Why is this person thinking this? We have done this exploratory interview. We have done the uh, interview for empathy. And they were talking about this and this and this. Why are they doing this? What could the idea behind this? And so you have this this five times why. A similar thing is the six W question. So six questions and all of them start with a W. Um, they are who, what, when, where, why, and how. Okay, this is not a W, this is German and W. 
it's a W, so it's, it's five W's and one H. So we have these six questions. Who, what, when, where, why, and how? The idea behind this is pretty much the same like with the five times why. Just get a more generic view, get into it, but also get above it. All right, and then the last point I want to mention here in the design thinking understanding phase is the interview and the analysis of extreme users. Maybe very old users, very young users, maybe physically handicapped users. So people that are somehow under some aspect extreme. And also lead users, meaning early adopters, people that jump into everything. So th there are people out there that um, jump into every fresh, every new technology that had these, this scanning behavior that, hey, I want to try this, I want to try that, and jump into this and jump into that. And um, so the, the, these persons um, are also extremely interesting. You get a lot of new views, you change your view, you get a different position because they have different views. And if they let you know, they will inspire you. They, they will give you sparks of inspiration to move on with your product, with your technology and your human machine interface. So this procedure is very elaborate. There's a lot of work um, you need to put into this, but it's extremely profitable. You get tons of information out of this and um, you get a lot of inspiration out of this. Of course, you need to prioritize this, but uh, at the end of the day, this is an enormous source of information and inspiration you get out of this process. And you can apply it for any product or any service um, that you may think of it may maybe analog products or analog services, it may be digital products, digital services. It works in any context. I cannot imagine any context uh, where it shall not properly work. Okay, so far on the design thinking uh, phase on uh, exploration, on understanding that we have there. The second method that uh, I'm applying very often because it is it gives you very good insights. It's comparably easy to apply, easy to understand, but again gives you with a comparably small effort big and valuable information. That is the contextual inquiry. The it, it is basically an advanced task analysis. So. If you if you have a new project or a few few uh, months ago I had a project in a domain I'm not aware of. So most of my projects are in automotive, but in that particular case, a tool machinery company approached me and said, "Hey, um, we uh, have an HMI problem. Can you help us?" I said, "Yes, of course." And I said, "I, I need to do I need to perform a contextual inquiry." And I could have just talked to people, saying, okay, what are users of your machines doing? How are they doing this? And what is the environment they are working in? And so on and so on. And um, I could have read books, handbooks about this one. But uh, what I did was a contextual inquiry, which means investigating uh, a task 
um, like being an apprentice, like being someone who's learning a new job. So I went there and, and there, there was a work. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a, a plastic welding machine. And I went to, to a, a construction place where they used this particular machine. And I watched these guys working and I asked them, yeah, I said, hey, explain me. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? How is it done? How do you know that you need to do this? Why are you doing this? What, what are your problems? How could it be done any, anyhow better? So those were the typical questions um, uh, that you ask. And, and you watch these people and, and you just keep on asking and analyzing and, and always, hey, please explain me. I want to know this. And you get a lot of information out of this. You may also take photos and videos um, to record the thing, but you get out of these answers tons of information. It can be very time consuming. Um, there can be a lot of effort you, you maybe maybe you may put into this, but it can also be very quick, very straightforward. It depends first of all, of course, on the complexity of the task. And it depends on your knowledge, on the examiner's uh, prior knowledge on the job and on the domain to be done. So everything inside a vehicle, I think the major things are things I know, but I will have uh, situations where it makes sense to have a contextual inquiry because there's a certain technology, new technology, or there's a new use case or a new user group. So then it makes sense to do this. Um, but probably it will be very focused, very quick. It is different if you enter a new domain, just as I talked about this plastic welding machine, or if somebody approaches me on, on an aircraft cockpit, for example. So probably I will need to have 10 overseas flights with a pilot and asking the pilot until I understand roughly what is going on in this aircraft cockpit. So it can be from very focused, very small uh, to very big, very large. But in any time, uh, any way, it, it is worth the time and the money you put into this. So this is the second one. That's the contextual inquiry. The third one um, I want to talk about is the development of personas. The idea of personas or the, the term persona comes from the antique theaters in, in, uh, in, in Greece, in ancient Greece. And people there were wearing masks to show which person they are on stage. Are they the good ones or are they the bad ones? And so and these masks were called personas. And that, that, that's just where it's coming from. Today, the development of persona means that you develop an imaginary person. It's not a real person. It's a person that's imaginary. And that represents either your entire user group or parts of it. And it is totally normal that you have more than one persona uh, in, in, uh, in your project. So uh, I, I, I talked about this one project where we are developing all these personas and then we, we develop customer journeys and then we derive use cases. So we do all the things very well, close to the optimal process. And there we are having four different personas. It is a, a vehicle. It's a car project. It's about vehicle interiors. It's about artificial intelligence. 
in cars. And there we have the four personas. One is a businessman. Uh, one is a retiree, an elderly uh, man. And then we have a uh, mother, a mother of two, um, mummy taxi driving, a bit of a helicopter mom. And then we have a CEO of a high-tech company, and, and she's very technology savvy, very, very close to technology. She loves it. So th this is basically the idea of, of the four different personas. We have to cover a wide range of users. The particular thing about personas is that uh, it is a very visual way of approaching your user group, of understanding your user group. Usually you produce large posters and you hang them into your lab or uh, in, in, in your office And whenever you have a decision point, saying, okay, um, I want to design this HMI and I, I'm, I'm doing the menu tree and where shall I put this submenu? And then you have a look at your personas and say, okay, um, persona one will probably expect it in this menu and persona two will have, uh, expect it in that one. And then you can think about how, how is the optimal, where, where, where can I put this one? So this, this is the usual way you work with personas once they are developed. And a persona has a name, you put a picture on it, you put on some biographical data. Um, they, they may be related to, to the domain you work in, you may be related to, to the problem you want to solve, to, to the task that you have. So heavy driver drives more than 20,000 miles a year or just driving 5,000 miles a year. Um, she has a driving experience of uh, 25 years and, and so on. Yeah? So then uh, you have personality traits, you have personality characteristics in there. You have brand preferences, for example. This is more an Apple person, this is more an Android person. This uh, is a Nike person, this is a Reebok person. Uh, you know, so you're doing things like this. And again, it, it, it depends on... Um, the kind of technology you have about, on the task that you want to solve. Then you have a category which treats the behavior, the solution strategies of, of a person. And uh, this is an important one. How, how do people face problems? Are they more offensive about this one? Are they aggressive or are they threatened by problems? What kind of solution strategy do they have? What pain points do they have in using the technology? How high is the technology affinity? So you may have users that um, have uh, a high affinity to technology. They are very close to They're always using this. It's a natural part of their lives. And then you may have uh, users that um, are not so close to technology that say, okay, hmm, I'm a bit critical about this one. I use it if it's required, but it's not really part of my personality, part of my life. You may have the hierarchy between human and technology. So one extreme hierarchy may be, I am the boss and the technology is the slave. So, yeah, so I'm, 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 I'm the boss and I'm, I'm controlling everything. And you will have those in people that use a lot of technology and in people that do not use so much technology. Or the other way around, um, you may feel like, or your user persona may feel like a victim of the technology. So the technology is ruling everything and I'm just reacting to this one. 
So th those are things that you should think about, that you should uh, collect data on, and that you should put into this persona. One big question is, where does all this data come from? And if you do a, let's say, serious, a, um, yeah, serious development of a persona, you will use data from, from marketing. You will run explicitly research on this one. You will do extra analysis on this one. And I know uh, one of the big German um, automotive uh, first-tier suppliers, they spend 2 million euros, dollars, pounds, on creating a set of personas for China, for Europe, and the US. And yeah, they, they had local marketing activities or local, local survey activities. Um, they had their marketing sent out. They had specific companies, universities sent out, collecting all the data in the local markets and supporting them in formulating a set of personas for all the three markets. But you can also use this from your professional and personal perception. You can just have a look and, and, and see, hey, um, one example, um, if, if I need a persona for, which is an elderly person but uh, has a certain technology orientation and regular technology use, I use my, my dad. So he is he's close to 90 years old, but he is using a smartphone. He is having a computer and a printer, and he just got his new internet radio. Um, so he is pretty technology, and he's an engineer. And, and um, so I have him in mind when I think about a persona that is over 80 and has a certain technology use. And his, his uh, partner, she, she is a nice lady, but uh, she's not using any technology at all. Everything that is beyond a landline telephone and a TV is beyond her area of use. And so, so she, she may serve as, as, a, as a role model for a persona. And of course, if you do this, develop a persona like this one, you need a validation. You need to evaluate your results in, in the real world. But it's not the worst way to do it this way. And a personal development can be done quick and dirty, quick and easy, pretty fast and, and uh, pretty well elaborated. But it can also involve a great deal of effort, of work, of time and of money. It depends on what you use your personas for and what uh, yeah how, how much degree of detail you can afford in this one one problem is particularly if you involve sales and marketing in your persona development they often reflect their ideas on an ideal user on an, an ideal customer into this persona and uh, this this may lead to the situation that you have a persona that is an ideal customer, but that simply doesn't exist. Because it's the dream, the idea of a sales or marketing guy to have this customer, although it's not out there. Um, so yeah, it, it needs a certain amount of empirical data. Um, I know from the big uh, automotive OEMs, they have data from marketing, from their market analysis departments, so you can design very well elaborated personas out of this. But if you want to have a quick and dirty solution, don't hesitate. It is possible. 
All right, let's summarize this episode of the Human Technology Podcast. I talked about three different ways, three different methods to put yourself in the shoes of your user. The first one was on design thinking. Um, that's the understanding phase of design thinking, the very first phase that you have there. Then we talked about the contextual inquiry. And we talked about the development of personas. Doing this kind of job will steer your success in technology development. It will steer the success of your product, of uh, the acceptance of your human-machine interface, of your usability, of whatever you create. So take this one serious. And if you need support, give me a call. I can guide you through this process. I can do this process for you. So um, if, if you want to have some ideas and some, some input, uh, if you want to have some sparks, or if you want to have the complete process done, give me a call. So if you like this podcast, please recommend it in your network. The more listeners I have, the more people will benefit from these ideas. And the more listeners I have, I will be ranked uh, higher on the respective platforms. So even more people get a chance to get into my world of thinking and to help me to make technology even more sexy. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an unknown exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites, peter-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de. Write me an email on the podcast at beyond-hmi.de. Tune in next time, take care and stay healthy.